I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, regular listeners. You may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Honey and Co. I'm Itamar Svulovich. And I'm Sarit Becker. In our... We talk to the cooks, waiters, makers, writers, drinkers and thinkers that we admire most from the food world. In this special edition, we are here in the Victoria and Albert Museum as part of the exhibition Food Bigger Than the Plate. It follows food from uh, compost through to farming, trade, and finally cooking. And over the summer, we're hosting a few events with a few different artists that have their installations in the exhibition. And today we are joined by Catherine Boom. Welcome, Catherine. Big Thank hand, you. everyone. Catherine exhibit is, or should I say artwork, is not what you would normally think of as artwork. It's a drinks company. A drinks company as an artwork. How does it work? What, what is the exhibit, please? Um, it's company drinks. And my one-liner is art can be many things. If it can be a painting and a sculpture, why not a drinks company. But in the exhibition, we basically have a little bar where we offer some of the drinks that we produce in Barking and Dagenham in East London. But we're also having showing a film that tells the whole story, how it came about. And we're exhibiting our bottles as a proper installation in a museum. But the actual artwork is the entire process from making the drinks no, from or from picking the produce, making the drinks from that selling them the whole kind of link. And it's uh, very local and very grounded in a very certain tradition. Company drinks is many different things, so, but it's also art. Um, I'm wearing the logo. It's the C, which can stand for a lot of different things. And depending on the audience, it gets interpreted differently. Um, so just, just to describe to people that are only listening, it's a little circle with a, a C in the badge. It's, it's a very straightforward design and very clean. And tell us what the C stands for. Well, for company. But the kind of double meaning of the word company, which means both being an enterprise and trading, but also being in social company and creating social connections through trade. It could also stand for community, collectivity, communism, congestion <laughs> charge, cola, and so on. So it's a, it's a little bit open for interpretation. That's the point. It's, um, it's purposefully ambiguous. 
you go, oh, the inspiration for, for company drink starts in the East End. Yeah. So tell us a bit about that. Why the East End? What started there? Yeah, yeah. It's a very London story rooted in this history of mainly women and children from the East End going picking to Kent. So if you, if you talk to anyone in East London and say hopping or picking, they know exactly what you're talking about. It's a 100-year-old history of up to 100,000 people from the East End going to Kent to mainly hop pick, a hand pick hops and fruit. But were they doing this as a, as a pleasure activity or is this a paid labor kind of? That's where the multiple meaning comes in again. If you read oral history of the time and women are being interviewed why they go sorry, picking. What sort of time is that? Um, 1850, like the introduction of the railway to roughly the 1950s when harvest got mechanized. So it's, it, it is this kind of 100 years between the introduction of the rail the hopping express to Kent and the kind of mechanization of harvest. So yeah, when you talk to women or when women spoke about why they went hop picking, they would say it's obviously it was about money. It was advertised as a working holiday. It was one of those few opportunities for working class women to make some money. But they also went because they wanted to get the kids to, in, into the countryside, to get some fresh air, to get away from their husbands, um, to have kind of financial independence. So there's many, many different reasons why people went picking during this time. And we wanted to kind of relate back to those many reasons. Um, and in 2014, in Barking at Dagenham, um, we invited people to go cope go picking again. So what were you picking? What was the first thing that you were picking? So we are picking... So our picking is um, kind of adjusted to the kind of more contemporary... Crops. Now. Yeah. Um, so if in the 1850s you still had a clear distinction between that's the city and that's the rural and that's the working class and they go there and that's the farmer. Those kind of clear relations don't exist anymore in 2015. So we have a huge shift in demographics, like people in East London are not all white working class. And we also have a shift in ge geography. So London has become this vast thing where kind of the, a clear division between um, countryside and the city isn't, isn't clear anymore. So we are kind of picking within this like shift of geographies and demographics. So we are picking, we are inviting everyone in Barking and Dagenham to go picking with us. And we are picking all year round things that grow locally and things that grow in the nearby countryside in Kent and Essex. I mean, logistically, how do you get to the community? How do you, I mean, how do you involve the community? Like you're saying, it's become more, uh, more diverse. There's a lot of different people. How do they even know that you're doing this? How we did it and how we do it is by asking this question, who wants to go picking again? And then we allow people to come picking for many, many different reasons. Some want to have social time, others want to go to a farm, others want to have a free day trip. So maybe I should explain that our picking happens from February till October. And every month we do a foraging walk in Barking and Dagenham, um, where we forage or get things from private gardens or, or surplus. And then a few times, like six times a year, we take a coach and we invite people to come picking with us to the countryside. And I'm, I'm always quite surprised how it works. And we're going to have a coach trip on Wednesday. And I don't exactly know who's coming. So there's going to be 50 people going like, we are going on a coach trip for the day. I'm like, I'm really nervous. I'm like just double, triple checking. So no, one is, no one's expecting like a cute trip to like some cute looking countryside, touching cute little animals. Yeah, just to make very clear, we're not expecting this. We're, we're going picking together. You have a whip and you just control <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, I'm quite friendly. But, <laughs> but 
but the picking is a, it's, it's recognized universally. You know, most, at least the parent generation, of course the grandparents, will recognize, will have some memory of picking in their use of having picked something and put it in their mouth. And that's the reason why people come picking again. I mean, if, if this finished in the 1950s, then there really should be around alive some people that went originally to do yeah. it. Have you had a chance to speak to anyone like that that's, that remembers actually doing it in... The yeah. I mean, that's how we started. We um, spoke to the social archives in Dagenham and said, do you think there's any interest or memory of this hopping, hopping history? And they're like, oh yeah, definitely. Um, so that's, we started with a reminiscing session, just inviting people, do you want to talk about hop picking, um, why you went, blah, blah. And there was big, big interest. So that was the first group we could find to go picking. And with that group, we go hop picking once a year. Um, well, we said, we're going to go hop picking again. And it's like, oh, we have to find a farmer. <laughs> we, um, we just need who, to find hop. Yeah, who allows um, two coaches with 100 people from East London to arrive during the main hop harvest. Um, so then we found um, a very, very nice farmer, um, um, in near Lamberhurst, and he was interested in the fact that we were kind of re reviving this heritage and allowed us to go on his farm. So one of the trips is, um, it's always the first Friday in September, we go down and we pick um, between 70 and 100 kilos of fresh hops, and half of the hops then go to Colonel Brewery in southeast London, and he's making a fresh hop beer for us, and the other hops are being used for fresh hop tonic. So it's also important that the hops that we pick now are being used for alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks. And what's really lovely as well is that you try um, and make sure that quite a large percentage of what you're producing only gets sold in the area that yeah, yeah. has gone picking. No, Which I mean, that, really, has, to be, yeah, yeah, that so. has to be clear. I mean, we are, I think at the end of the day, we are about economies and community economies. So there is a kind of strong communist element in us. Half of the drinks have to stay in the borough just to not become a business that kind of takes the unique selling point, takes the good story, takes the resources and sells it somewhere else. And decisions like this make, make us, um, they're not straightforward business decisions. So what we sell in the borough, we sell at cost price. Half of the stock we sell normally within the art world in West London. But who, who sells it in the borough? Just, you know, regular off-license? Or... So we make I mean, some are for sale here at the V&A yeah, as well. Yeah, our yeah. very famous bad cola, like B-A-D, as in Barking and Dagenham. <laughs> but also as in cola is bad. And it's kind of good when it's cold, but cola is a bad... It's, that's it. So we make around eight different sodas every year, one cola, one cider, one beer. And in the borough, we mainly sell them or give them away at public events or through a number of shops or the museums. And what, what's the response from, from the community? Do people seek it out or is it something that's being celebrated yeah, it's, kind of, it's odd yeah you know this thing of like oh is it is it a social enterprise is it a community project this this thing that it's many different things is a bit odd but i think it's really important to keep things that can be more than one thing um i don't like to talk on behalf of others but i think it's popular and the first year, the first year was really odd because we kind of started to say in March, oh, let's go picking, we're going to make all those drinks, and it sounds really abstract. But every September, <clears throat> we kind of take a family photo of all the drinks we made, and then it becomes clear what, what we meant and what we are doing. And the, the photos from the trips are on the bottle. So they become part of the artwork. Of, or they become the brand, yeah. so to speak. Tell us about other things that get bottled. Apart from hops, what other kind of things are you foraging for and what do you do with them? Because you uh, make like, tea For example, what are, you, what are you doing next Wednesday? What are you picking? I, okay, Wednesday is a really exciting trip. So we're going gleaning. 
what is gleaning? Gleaning is picking what's been left after the commercial harvest. And so everything that's been rejected on a regular or, or just, just so if I like what we're doing on Wednesday is we're going to a black currant growing farm in East Sussex, Maynards in um, Tithehurst, and they grow black currant for Ribena. And all the black currants for Ribena are grown in the UK to do with various Second World War issues. But once they've done the commercial harvest, like they brush the, the currants off the bushes and collect them in huge uh, kind of nets. There's still lots and lots left that can't be harvested by machines. So then the gleaning is that we can pick whatever is left and take home for free. That's amazing. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. After you've picked a crop, yeah. somebody needs to process it. I mean, yeah. So how, do, how did you partner with people to process it? Who is processing it? The drinks making, we do some of it in workshops, we do some of it in-house, and some is done by other colleagues who have bigger facilities. But with a black currant um, on Wednesday, we will choose it and we will make a cassis, a cordial. I actually think it's our best drink. And if you tell people that it's exactly the same black currant as in the Ribena, so you have direct comparison, people are like, no. You know, that just the, the freshness of the berry um, with a bit of lemon and sugar is so different to this highly processed drink that has to last for like 200 years. And that's, there's something really quite nice about then telling the story of, oh yeah, it's, it's kind of Ribena, but different. Yeah. In an ideal world, in a world where you could kind of spread this more, how big can that 
idea grow, you know, that a community can be in charge of its food, of its consumption, of its mm. growth? How do we start fighting that as, a, as an active thing? I mean, maybe at this point it also makes sense to talk a little bit of, about barking in Dagenham, which has been a kind of agricultural landscape until not so long ago. And after that, it was a very kind of industrial part of London. And now it's kind of labeled by others as culturally and economically deprived. So that's, that's quite sad for a community um, if all the means to make money and produce and distribute are taken away. Um, so Company Drinks is about reintroducing um, certain access to existing means to collectivize around production and to kind of circulate uh, within a local economy and not export everything um, directly out of this community. And this is to build local economy, this is to build, um, well, capacity for self-sustaining through learning how to make drinks. But I think it also is producing quite a positive image about this community, which is like, look, we're making this amazing drinks range. And it's an image that's otherwise not produced when it comes to talking about barking at Dagenham. And this idea that you organize a new public space around a food production cycle. So I'd rather see it replicated than us trying to stretch becoming it. really yeah. big, yeah. Right. In terms of how we think about a business model. We usually measure the success of a business by the financial returns. Yeah. Yeah. But this is not, not your business model. It's not uh, been... We measured by that as well. Um, we are working with a really interesting um, economist, Catherine Gibson. She's based in Sydney. And she's leading on research to do with community economies. And whenever I go like, oh, how shall we talk about, you know, I'm, I don't come from business, I come from the arts. I come from value production and trade, but not from arguing business. She's saying, just say this, you're really fast on social return, a little bit slower on financial. <laughs> so, but this is, this is an actual measure. It's, yeah. it's not something to be discounted because we always, you know, think of... Um, you know, every action or every gesture has a monetary value. Yeah. But actually, that monetary value might detract from the community or might not add to the community or actually, in a lot of cases, really doesn't. So do you see this kind of business model spreading to other, you know, aspects of the food chain? Or I mean, I think this, this recognition that most things work on diverse economies is an important recognition. You know, even a capitalist economy re relies on someone bringing the children up for free at home. So Catherine Gibson's argument is that we really need to recognize the diversity of the economic underpinnings that enable our infrastructures. So with company drinks, we kind of have quite clear breakdowns how diverse our economy is, which is from like volunteer labor to free rent to donations, cultural funding, income from sales, and then also kind of trying to say, okay, but we get the sunlight for, for free, you know, that's also part of our economy. Company drinks is an exercise to be able to talk about economy in different terms about an economy where we're all part of, we are all involved in different roles and with different powers. But it's definitely something we, we are all engaged with. And Company Drinks tries to offer more opportunities to be engaged again. Not just be the consumer, also be the picker, the producer, the branding person, and so on. 
And then if we go back a second to it being an artwork and being part of this exhibition as an artwork, it, it struck me that in a way this bar that you have in the exhibition makes the person drinking part of the artwork because they're coming up to a person they don't know, asking for a drink that they don't really know what it is as mm -hmm. well. And the process of them drinking, how much they choose to ask for, anything like that. Have you had a chance to stand on the stand and watch people consume the, the drinks at all? Or have you heard from people that have been doing it, how it's been going along the exhibition? Well, I think only so someone who's interested in art would be interested in the fact that it's also art. Um, there's also a lot of people who just really don't care. If I have to explain it as art, I kind of often use a concept by the philosopher Stephen Wright, and he talks about art can either be read in terms of spectatorship or usership. And spectatorship is the model we are used to, like we look at art, we don't drink art. Whereas usership is more that art maybe can be used in many, many different ways. You know, someone can look at our bottles and think they're really beautiful. Our bottles have been in landscape exhibitions because they look like a contemporary London landscape. But you can also drink it, you can also take part in it. Um, you can be part of the kind of um, business decisions in it. So I think it's art in the sense that it allows for different uses and we're not prescribing them. So if someone wants to put the bottle in an exhibition as an exhibit, that's fine. If someone wants to drink the cola from the same bottle, that's fine too. I don't know if you, you want to get into the, the world of big companies, say like mm -hmm. Coca-Cola, you know. We have no idea really of any of the parts of the process. The recipe is secret, so that's nothing that we can know about. We have no idea really what happens in the factories, how it gets packed. Not even sure where, where it's made yeah, where or it's what goes in it. Why? So the, the process is very obscure, it's very blocked. Yeah. Do you think that your process, was it important for you to keep it uh, open and transparent? Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, exactly. I think this idea of like becoming aware of what the production cycle is, becoming aware of what the, the means to production is. So like with a cola example, um, with a colleague from Bristol, Kate Rich, we make cola concentrate once a year and we make it under very strict health and safety circumstances in the local library. And um, she, she's using the kind of, some food activist cracked the Coke recipe or claimed to have, it doesn't really matter, but it's this like secret, secret recipe. And she's making cola concentrate from scratch with those kids. And it's not difficult. You know, it's nine essential flavors and then all the bad stuff and then you carbonate it. <laughs> to make it apparent and clear and participatory, those processes, that's of course key to, to company drinks, that it doesn't remain obscure, you know, you're not just the recipient of this amazing cola. You can, you can make it, it's not that difficult. Yeah. And other drinks are much simpler, the cordial is relatively simple to make, you know. We make tea, a cup of tea, everyone's a specialist. It's a fascinating project completely. You can go into the exhibition, which you should anyway, but try some of the drinks there. Thank you so much for, Thank for talking to us. You can join us live in other Honey & Co. Check out the VNA website for information about the exhibition. There's a tasty little promo for our listeners. You just uh, type it. Food 40. Give you a 40% discount and you can come and enjoy it for yourself. It's really worth it. Thanks so much for listening. And a big thank you to Catherine Bong. Thank you very much. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.